Welcome to the Flourish Heights podcast, made for women by women. I'm your host, Valerie Adjamine, women's health dietitian and the founder of Flourish Heights. To be empowered in health starts with a true connection with your body. Together, we are breaking through topics surrounding periods, women's nutrition, body awareness, self-care, and much more. Let's flourish and be the best version of ourselves. Hey y'all, how is it going? I hope you're doing amazing. We are still in conversation with the experts on fertility because, well, it's a very broad and complex topic and I'm doing my best to break it down for you in each episode. And I've been I've been loving this series. I hope you have been too. But before we jump into today's chat, I want to read a lovely review I received a while back from Ronit. She says, thank you, Valerie, for this informative podcast and for all the content that you create and put out to support women's health. Your questions are so thoughtful and your knowledge is incredible. You guys spoil me too much. (laughs) Thank you for such a kind review. Ladies, if you have been loving our episodes, please take literally one minute to leave a review so we can reach more and more women. Also, did you notice we have new artwork for our podcast cover? Finally, I've been like waiting for this day. I know I just started the podcast like over a year ago, but I just was like, I need something different. But yes, that's me. Your girl got a little makeover, got a little glammed up and I'm loving it. So let me know what you think. Um, But yeah, so in today's episode, we are continuing the conversation on fertility, but this time with a reproductive endocrinologist. So a fertility doctor, and I'm so pumped. Egg freezing, fertility myths, when to see a fertility specialist, I know you've always wondered. So yes, this special guest is here to give you all the scoop. I mean, like, all of it. Dr. Parikh is a board-certified OBGYN and board-eligible reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist. She has published cutting-edge studies within peer-reviewed journals important to advancing the field of women's reproductive health. Her clinical expertise also includes assisted reproductive technologies such as IVF and IUI, Um, egg freezing, sperm freezing, and so much more. And her expertise with infertility has provided her with the ability to counsel with compassion and offer informed diagnoses and equitable guidance to individuals and couples alike. You are going to love this episode. Please share it with your girlfriends. This is valuable information like we could all use right about now. So let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody, we are back. And today I am like really excited to have Dr. Parikh on. She's a fertility doctor. I met her like a couple months ago um, at the Kind Body opening. They just opened an office here in the DC metropolitan area. And we've been connected ever since. And I was like, I have to have her on the podcast because a lot of you guys have so many questions about fertility. And so we just have to talk about it. We can't stop talking about it. And so I am, I'm like, just really excited to have Dr. Parikh on. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to talk to you all and discuss a little bit about what I do. Awesome. So tell our listeners about yourself, maybe your path to becoming a fertility doctor. Before so, we jump in. Uh, my name is Dr. Toral Parikh. I am a infertility specialist and um, I had done my medical training out in the University of Miami, Florida. 
where I was born and raised, and then subsequently came to the DC area to do my training. Um, I did my OBGYN residency out in Georgetown Washington Hospital Center. So kudos and whoop whoop to the uh, hospital center group there. Um, and then I subsequently transitioned and did my fellowship training in fertility um, at the National Institutes of Health out in Bethesda, Maryland. And oh, all of my uh, knowledge and experience to all of my uh, attending out there. And then subsequently was uh, met by my husband in DC who drew me to Houston, Texas. And so that is where we are currently residing. And I am a new provider now for Kind Body in Houston, Texas, and am excited to get that clinic opened and patients through the door in Houston, helping them to build their families there. That's awesome. So you're leaving DC. I am leaving. Oh my gosh. That was so short. (laughs) I know I currently am a temporary kind body provider for the DC clinic and helping to sort of kick off the clinic out here. And the clinic is doing fantastic. And there are um, so many lovely uh, providers here. And so um, unfortunately my time here in DC is a little short. Oh man. Well, I'm sure they will miss you. (laughs) And I will miss everyone here, (laughs) including all of my um, wonderful patients. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when people think of fertility, they think like OBGYN, like I know some of it overlaps maybe, but it's not the same. Can you tell us like what, first of all, what is a fertility doctor, reproductive endocrinologist? I think that's a longer, um, term for it, but what's the difference between OBGYN fertility doctor? Tell us what it's all about. So um, uh, as a medical student, you have to select a residency to train in, and that residency that we initially train in as fertility doctors is OBGYN. You become a general obstetrician and gynecologist, um, whereby you do your basic procedures and and take care of patients in the setting of doing pap smears and uh, myomectomies. Fibro, uh, sorry, uh, hysterectomies um, and delivering babies. Uh, once you've completed your four years of training as an OBGYN, you are offered the ability to do a fellowship. Those fellowships can be in specialty um, areas within the world of OB and GYN. And so physicians can decide to either be a specialist for um, pregnant patients in which they may be maternal fetal medicine specialists. Others may decide they want to go into oncology where they may be GYN oncologists. Um, urogynecology is another specialty. Family planning is another specialty. And then reproductive endocrinology and fertility is another specialty, as well as a few others that I haven't mentioned, um, like PEDS GYN and, uh, maybe minimally invasive and a few others. And so, um, within the realm of reproductive endocrinology and fertility, that's an additional three years on top of the four years of residency that uh, physicians complete in which they learn all of the nuances of providing fertility care. Well, thank you for breaking that down because I know it can get pretty confusing. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't really know what a fertility doctor does or it's like kind of separate. Um, I mean, at least what I I see and hear all the time. Um, And so thanks for breaking that down. Now, you know, a lot of people now, especially around, I guess, this time, this modern age, um, they want to know or understand like their fertility baseline. Because, you know, we often talk about like 
how important it is, or there, we've had a lot of special guests that have come on to the show to talk about, you know, why fertility is important beyond just like getting pregnant, um, just for, you know, your whole body health. And so if someone is just trying to understand their fertility baseline, like what should they expect? In other words, I mean, are there certain tests or exams that are needed? Sure. So, you know, a fertility specialist is a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. That's the name of the title of a fertility specialist in that the endocrinology part is really the hormones that the female body releases and the level of those hormones. And so at any point in any individual, whether they're desiring to conceive or not, those hormone levels could be in, uh, inappropriately high, inappropriately low or abnormal. And so uh, what a fertility doctor is really trying to see in any individual of childbearing age um, is to see where those hormones are at and how they're functioning and whether or not they could potentially impact the ability um, to conceive with a patient who's having infertility or with a patient who's not even started even trying to get pregnant and hadn't had known that they had any issues until they actually were evaluated. And so a lot of times what we do is just a basic, what we call fertility assessment. And in that fertility assessment, what we are trying to look at is largely three real issues. One uh, being the actual uterus and ovaries of the individual. So the structural aspect um, of a woman. And so we do a basic pelvic ultrasound where we look at the uterus, the ovaries, the, the fallopian tubes, and making sure that there are no pathology, things like fibroids, polyps, cysts on the ovaries that could potentially make it difficult to then conceive later. And in addition to that, we're looking for follicles on the ovaries or what we refer to as eggs. Um, and so we count what we call the follicles on the eggs and we count to see how many an individual has and just make sure that they're roughly about the number that we expect in that individual at that age. In addition to that, we do the second thing, which is blood work, where we actually uh, do a hormone panel uh, looking at individuals' FSH, their LH values, prolactin, a really important hormone called anti-malarian hormone, um, looking to try to see where the patient's hormonal status is and if there's anything that could potentially impact their, their, their desire to conceive. Um, from a hormonal standpoint. And that too is used in line with the ultrasound to see that they're in agreement with one another. What we're seeing on ultrasound is what we're seeing with the hormones. And then the last thing we include in a fertility assessment is just a basic history and physical with the patient is to just go over, make sure that anatomically they're normal um, to also make sure that there's no medical issues or any prior surgeries or any um, problems that may complicate the ability to conceive for an individual. And so with all that information, we kind of get a, an understanding of where the patient is at, if there's any issues and then to plan, right. And to plan right. for the patient's future in terms of what they're wanting to do long-term. Yeah. I mean, that's all really helpful. Um, you told us like the work that, you know, you do what tests that patients need to take, what exams, all that good stuff. But when should one actually see a reproductive endocrinologist or like what age, um, like what's a good age? I mean, and, and what are some signs you need to see? You know, I think the best age to just get a basic evaluation is somewhere around 25. 
25 year old individuals and above, (laughs) um, it just helps us to gauge where we're at. Right. And a lot of times we occasionally have patients who have issues and we are able to intervene very early and we're able to essentially plan and uh, preserve their fertility for the future. And had we not known that those issues um, were there from a basic fertility assessment, then that individual may have had more difficult times in the future. Wow. At 25, I feel like so many women are past that age and then maybe like something happens and then they're like, Oh crap. Like, let me go to a fertility. And we have patients even younger. I mean, sometimes some patients come in at 20, you know, or even younger when they first started their menstrual cycles, because they're abnormal. So there's not really a you know, number, so to speak, it's more of a just general fertility assessment, just to see how things are doing usually between the ages of um, 23, 25 is a good time to just get a basic assessment. And then, you know, in the future, it kind of give, get an idea of all the tools that we have here and now to help you to preserve your fertility. If you're thinking you're needing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never too late. So, I mean, even, cause I think this audience here is definitely, you know, maybe like mid twenties to like, you know, late forties, mid forties. Oh, anytime after that is a good time. So I usually (laughs) tell my patients like, there's no better time than today. Um, if you're older than 25, not a problem. Most of our patients are, and even myself, I am. And so, you know, um, generally speaking, that's the earlier end, the later end would be as late as 45, even 50, we can still help to assist in trying to conceive and to, to do a fertility, basic fertility assessment and figure out what options are available to you. This is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like a lot of people don't know that, you know, it would just like know, know how to like, just get their baseline or maybe they never considered it or even knew that, okay, well, maybe I should just have, you know, an understanding of, you know, how my body's working when it comes to my reproductive health. Um, and so this is really great information that you're, you're sharing. And I hope that empowers people to just, you know, want to have a basic understanding of like, you know, their bodies. Right. I always tell my patients knowledge is power. Right. And so if you know, just through a basic fertility assessment, where things are at, then you can decide whether or not you're wanting any sort of additional assistance in conceiving or, we're talking about conceiving when the time is right for you in the future. Yeah. So what are some top fertility myths that you always hear from your clients and patients? I'm sure you hear so many. Um, one of the ones that I think are, is really important for everyone to really know is, is that just because you're getting your periods every month doesn't mean everything is okay. Um, we do think that regular cycles help to give us a lot of information about a person's current state, but there are patients that are still having regular menstrual cycles and that may not be, um, in a position to be able to conceive because of other factors. So a lot of times, um, I do see patients, unfortunately, that will say, oh, but my cycles are normal. And I didn't know that I had any issues. Well, you know, the actual egg quality of an individual is very dynamic and will, for most individuals, decline over time um, uh, in a somewhat rapid fashion once you're over the age of 35 or 38. And so um, a lot of the times, you know, having your regular menstrual cycle is almost kind of a little bit of a security blanket that some individuals have about being able to conceive. 
Now, I'm glad you mentioned um, about the fertility decline um, that happens. And is it both for men and women? Um, like, what is there to know? Because I, yeah, when people hear like, oh, like I'm pushing 30s, it's like, oh crap, like, you know, am I good? Am I going to be able to have kids? It's like right. always this fear. And so, can you break down like what? Sure. Actually, the fertility decline occurs for both men and women. Women are born with the number of eggs that they're going to have for the rest of their life. And so they're endowed with that at the time of birth, the time of conception, really. Um, And so we are all born with roughly, we say 500,000 eggs, right? And then as soon as we hit our hit puberty, our menstrual cycles start, those eggs are then actually being expended on a month to month basis with your cycles. Men are a little bit different. They actually are creating sperm fresh every 90 days. And so the process of decline is a little different from men, whereby which with age, we still do see an overall decline in sperm counts. Um, But that sperm count declination is a little bit less steep and less, um, uh, easily visualized or seen within men. Um, and usually that we say that men's fertility will decline after the age of 40, 45. Um, whereas for women, it's a little bit earlier where we say 35, 38, 40 is where, um, a woman's fertility kind of sort of declines a little bit more rapidly. And it's a little more difficult to be able to conceive. Um, many times I have patients who have secondary infertility where they we're able to have baby number one without any issues, but now that they're older, now that they're, um, you know, trying to conceive for the second time, they may hit issues with trying to conceive for the second um, pregnancy. And so uh, much of that may be due to that declination in egg quality over time. Wow. Now, many women, like they, a lot of people have like women's health issues that we know can impact fertility. I mean, the common ones that we typically hear of is, you know, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibroids and endometriosis. Now, what about these conditions are, um, can actually impact fertility? So many of these conditions, um, can affect different aspects of fertility. So when we talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome, these individuals have a lot of eggs. And I usually tell my patients, it's kind of like a traffic jam. There's so many eggs and the signal to the brain and the brain back to the ovaries to mature or help make one of those many eggs um, ready for ovulation, sometimes those signals are missed or not communicating properly, whereby which the patient is not having um, an egg ovulate on a monthly basis like it should. And so that in and of itself can make it difficult to conceive because you're not having the chance to potentially become pregnant with an ovulated egg every month. Um, And so patients with this issue may go two, three, four months, even years sometimes without having menstrual cycles because they're not ovulating and therefore not being able to conceive. Um, In situations of fibroids and endometriosis, that's more of a structural issue whereby these things can actually impact the ability for a pregnancy to implant and implant appropriately or potentially um, cause you know, an early pregnancy to miscarry. And so a lot of the times um, from a fertility standpoint, when we talk about these um, disorders or disease processes, we talk about how the basic fertility assessment is largely looking for these issues to see if a patient has. I often hear being on the pill for too long can delay pregnancy. Is, is that a myth? 
I would say that that is a myth. We know that birth control can help to sort of pause the process of ovulation, um, depending upon the form of birth control that you're using. Um, and when you're talking about the pill, most pills uh, that OBGYNs or in general, um, uh, individuals will be used or placed on for birth control will be a combination pill where there's a little bit of estrogen and a little bit of progesterone that um, inhibits the process of ovulation in a woman. And so therefore, if you're not ovulating, then the chance of conceiving is very low. That process of inhibiting ovulation can sometimes suppress or quiet down the ovary. And so once the individual is ready to conceive and want to come off the birth control pill, it may take a little time for the ovary to sort of, I would say, wake up and uh, re restart the process of cycling eggs to uh, prepare for ovulation. In some women, that's right away. They stop the birth control and the next month they're with their regular menstrual cycle. And that's the majority of women. Mm -hmm. Some women, it takes two or three months to, to get that process started. And in some very small population of people, it could take anywhere up to um, six to nine months. But usually within that time, the majority of patients are cycling back again. I do not think that birth control in any way um, decreases the ability for a patient to conceive in the future. And if we thought that was the case, we would not be um, essentially treating patients with birth control so uh, generally. Yeah. Thanks for breaking that, that down. I know a lot of people have, I mean, there's a lot of misconception anyway out there around like birth control. Right. I mean, I, I have patients there. who are like, oh, I don't want to put an IUD inside my uterus because I think that that's going to prevent me from having a baby in the future. I had an IUD. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't make sense from a, from a physical standpoint. Now we know that an IUD can have complications that can then subsequently lead to issues with conceiving in the future. But for the most part, an IUD is a very benign uh, plastic piece um, or, or device that we place inside the uterus and that basically there can have hormones or no hormones that can help to sort of stop the process of ovulation or thin out the lining of the uterus to the point where implantation of a pregnancy is, is not possible. And then once you remove it, the process of, of cycling and um, endometrial growth reverses. I want to talk about egg freezing. I have, you know, some colleagues, some friends who, I mean, this conversation has been coming up quite a lot. Um, maybe they're considering like egg freezing, but you know, maybe they don't have kids right now, but want to in the future in their mid thirties, um, tell us what egg freezing is. Uh, when should it be considered? Um, I know a lot of people have like the whole, you know, concern sure. about the cost and everything. So, sure. So um, the process of egg freezing is whereby an individual says, okay, I'm this age and I know that because of my desires to maybe, you know, take on a new career or maybe I'm not with someone or the right person at this point and to conceive or I just don't think about having babies right now um, can actually undergo a process whereby we stimulate the ovaries and make a, make a lot of eggs um, and then subsequently retrieve those eggs and freeze them. Um, and so hence egg freezing. Right. Um, the process of egg freezing will then forever freeze those eggs at the age that the person was when the egg freezing process occurred. And so the quality of those eggs are to be reflected by the age that the person was. And so a lot of times egg freezing allows a person to still continue their 
life goals without having to be rushed into the process of having a baby. Um, when you're talking about preparation for egg freezing, once a fertility assessment is completed and we have the number of follicles and the uh, hormone levels that the individual has at baseline, that kind of gives us an idea as to the medications that we would need to place the patient on in order to stimulate the eggs within their ovaries. Naturally, uh, a woman will normally make one egg that's mature every month, um, and that's the uh, natural process physiologically that happens. With egg freezing, we basically administer hormones through injections that will then um, sort of take over the process of that maturation of eggs inside the ovaries, whereby we mature all of the follicles or eggs that we see on ultrasound and try to get them all to kind of get to the point of maturation where we would, can retrieve them and then store them. And in the process of egg freezing, only mature eggs can be frozen. And so in, inevitably we may have a few immature eggs that we retrieve and those are then discarded or kept for future uh, research until we have the ability or scientific um, ability to freeze those eggs. So it's pretty, it's a pretty reliable process, right? Like there, you know, when you get to that point, let's say years later and you're like, okay, I want to now use them. It's going to sure. still be in, in good shape. You don't like, there's yeah. no concern or anything that can impact the quality of the eggs. So like maybe how they're what stored. I tell my patients is that with egg freezing, the biggest um, concern that we have is in the process of unfreezing or thawing the eggs. Eggs are just one cell. And so when we thaw them, they don't survive the thaw process as well as embryos because those are multiple cells or maybe even hundreds of cells um, that are balled up into an embryo and, and frozen. And so usually in the egg thawing process, we will tell patients that roughly speaking, we expect 80% of the eggs to survive that process. And so naturally we'll um, advise that individuals undergoing the egg freezing process freeze more than the number of children that they're desiring to have, because we know that there is a decline in the number of eggs that can be used for, for fertilization and there, and then also subsequently fertilize and make embryos. <sighs> Thanks for breaking that down, giving us the facts. <laughs> um, yeah. With just a few minutes left here, um, I just just quickly, like, what are your thoughts on fertility testing kits? I've been seeing so many different brands, um, having these sure. kinds of kits. Are they accurate? Is, I mean, is it better than, I mean, should we do it and still see a provider? Like, what are your thoughts on it? I, I love the fertility kits because it gives individuals access to information that they may not have known before. However, fertility kits are not fail proof, right? Um, I, okay. I do think that it's very pertinent that once a fertility test is done, that individuals undergo um, a fertility assessment with an actual provider to confirm that those results are really the situation. Unfortunately, there are many situations in which the fertility tests may show everything is normal, but because an ultrasound is not done or certain hormone testings were not done, things may have been missed. And so it may provide a level of uh, security that may be false in some ways. Um, but for the most part in, in its 
um, direct sense, it does help individuals to be able to test to see if there are abnormalities and does provide um, a window in which patients that are shown to have abnormalities can then be aware of them and come in for additional testing. So um, I do like the idea and process of being able to have the full fertility assessment done because it just gives more information um, in general, but fertility kits are very convenient. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. I just, uh, I'm not going to mention the brand, but I just took uh, one of those tests. I was just curious. I was like, I never done this before, but I've seen a lot of people do it. And I think it's, it'll give me like a solid baseline, but I'm still going to follow up with like my provider just to, you know, be, be more aware. Again, make sure that everything's okay, but you do have a level of reassurance that, Hey, my fertility test came back normal and I feel good. Um, and, and it does give you some information. Love that. Okay. So where can people find more information about fertility? Um, what are some good resources? Um, so Kind Body's website has a lot of resources in general, and I instruct patients to go there to just look up general information about various situations. It could be um, use the use of donor sperm, the use the, the ability to single parent, um, same-sex couples who are looking to have a child and grow their families. Um, there's just so much information out on the internet in general. Um, the more um, larger fertility groups will often have resources available through their websites as well um, to be able to have patients uh, informed in their fertility process. Uh, the um, CDC and ASRM are really great what places for patients to go to for more guideline instructions and information about fertility processes. And so um, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine is a fantastic resource for patients to get more information, um, whether it be very general and just an overview or very specific. Thanks so much for sharing those resources. What are some you know, last words you'd like to share with our listeners or anyone on their fertility journey? I would just like to um, tell all women out there that are looking or desiring to potentially become um, a parent to a child in the future that, you know, I like to say we can, we can make your dream of having a child come true. It just depends on how and in what capacity you're willing to go to have that child and to seek support through your friends, families, and loved ones to help you in the process um, and, and to uh, allow us to at least be a part of that process if you're needing assistance. Thank you so much, Dr. Parikh. You shared such great information. I know 30 minutes was not enough to talk about all of these things. Um, you know, we didn't even touch on like you know, infertility much or the common infertility treatments, IVF, IUI, all those things. So, you know, um, that'll probably have to be another episode at some point, but thank you so I much know, for coming on and just, you know, sharing a lot about this, um, really important and necessary information. Now, this is one last question that I have for you. It's a question that I ask all of our guests that come on the show. And that is how do you flourish? I flourish knowing that my patients are happy. So what, what makes my parent, my patients content 
um, in their fertility journey is, is what makes me content in knowing that a patient has preserved their eggs or has uh, undergone the IVF process and been able to have a child or used a donor sperm and been able to conceive through IUI. This is what makes me flourish. Um, the, the, the satisfaction of knowing that patients were able to achieve their dreams um, with, with my assistance and the assistance of individuals who care about them a lot. You're doing amazing work. Thank you so much for just coming on and empowering our listeners to just, you know, have a better understanding of their fertility. So thank well, you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to everyone. I do hope that it helps to shed some light on um, the topic. And I encourage everyone to find out what their fertility is at. Gems, gems, and gems. I wasn't even done asking her like all my burning questions in this limited time we had together, but all good. We'll reach out to her to record another episode so we can get into like the different treatments, the non-traditional paths to building families and just, yeah, all the above. Anyway, ladies, thanks again for tuning into today's episode, continuing the conversation around fertility with Dr. Parikh. Leave a cool review and rating. Share it. I mean, seriously, share it with a friend. I will catch you in the next episode. And until next time, keep flourishing.